0: Hello and welcome to High Heels and Heartache. I'm your host, Kendall Ann Combs. Thank you so much for tuning in. This episode of the show is so much fun. Um, I wrote a book called What I Wish I Knew, Surviving and Thriving After an Abusive Relationship with a friend of the show and trauma therapist, Dr. Amelia Kelly. Um, The book is actually a Amazon bestseller. Um, We've gotten so many awesome comments and some really great questions about the book. So we decided to get together and to answer your questions. If you haven't already purchased What I Wish I Knew, Surviving and Thriving After an Abusive Relationship, it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Walmart.com, Target.com, anywhere that you buy books, uh, What I Wish I Knew, Surviving and Thriving After an Abusive Relationship is available. So coming right up, I have Dr. Kelly and we will answer all of your questions about the book. And I'm back with Dr. Kelly. How are you, Dr. Kelly?
1: I am fantastic. I'm excited it's, to talk to you again.
0: Yes, even though we talk all the time.
1: <laughs> I guess formally, I'm excited to formally talk to you.
0: <laughs> so, what
1: have you been doing lately? Well, uh, other than telling everyone about our book, of uh, course, <laughs> we've been putting together a series for highly sensitive people. Oh, cool! Focusing, yeah, focusing on how to be an HSP and have healthy relationships. And oh. I've been working on my second book. Uh oh. I miss you though. I, did, <laughs> I, I honestly, I, I, it was very good for me having that accountability. You and I like that dialogue. So maybe sometimes if I'm behind on my chapters, I'll just have to have you text me to get going. Okay, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. And I'll and I'll actually be uh, live next week on a uh, Facebook um, on Ooh, Tuesday cool. at eleven thirty. Yeah the uh, podcast Loving Without Boundaries we are gonna be talking about being a highly sensitive person in a non-monogamous, non-traditional relationship.
0: Oh, that sounds really interesting. Okay, yeah. I'll make sure I put the link in there um, cool. in the show notes so people can get to it. All right, so we got lots of questions for us. Mm-hmm. Some for both of us, some for you, some for me. So let's, let's talk about it. Um, so first, if you, in case you don't know, Dr. Kelly and I wrote a book Called "What I Wish I Knew: Surviving and Thriving After an Abusive Relationship." It is an Amazon bestseller in not one but two categories. Thank you very <laughs> much. <laughs> and <laughs> you can get it wherever books are sold: Amazon, Barnes and Noble, etc. So, our first question is: How did the book idea happen?
1: Well, uh, I love this story. So, back when you and I were doing our second episode together. In person, mm-hmm. pre-COVID, mm-hmm. in the studio, I remember we wrapped up a session about repeat trauma. And I always say it was like one of those moments I still see in my mind. We're mm-hmm. standing there about to walk down the stairs. And I turned and I looked at you. And I was like, gosh, you learned so many cool things in your podcast. Have you ever thought of writing a book about it? And it was like one of those moments I feel like both the light bulbs went off in our head. Yeah. Like, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> I have to say, though, something that I didn't anticipate when that idea was born was your willingness to not just talk about things that you learned, but it turned into you being so authentic and raw and open and sharing your whole story. I think your willingness to do that completely transformed what our book became.
0: Oh, thank you for saying that. It was not easy. Mm Mm-mm. It was not easy. You know that very new emails crying, like, oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can do this. Yeah, but we, we, we pushed through <laughs> so, and now we have a fabulous best selling book because of it.
1: And Our- honestly, my favorite part of the book is me hearing from clients and hearing from just people in the general public who say. I was on the fringe. I couldn't take that final last step. And I read your book and now I'm out. And I'm just like, oh, you are who we wrote it for.
0: Yeah. And I, I really wish I would have had that safety plan that you wrote mm-hmm. up in the book because that's amazing. That could have <laughs> really saved me, like literally saved yeah. me a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. All right. So here's another question for you. Oh, this is a good one. What do you see is the biggest challenge for people after an abusive relationship?
1: There's two things that come to mind. You know, one is a little bit more on a personal level and one is more universal. Mm-hmm. I think on a personal level, internal level, it's figuring out what matters to you personally again. What makes you tick? What is what are your passions? Because for so long, all of that becomes tamped down Mm -hmm. by the abuser that, I mean, like in the book you spoke about, simple choices sometimes seemed overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So I find with clients I work with, we're rebuilding their inner dialogue that they can do these things. And sometimes we have to figure out what the things even are. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I'm more of a universal interpersonal level It's the willingness to trust others again. I mean, just being able to trust that you can be in a healthy relationship, being willing to trust others with your heart, others with your story, um, navigating who is is going to have that honor to hear your story and who maybe is not a good person to share it with too. I mean, all of that is incredibly dynamic to navigate. Yeah, it's a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you think you're, you're a survivor. I feel like this should, I feel like this question totally applies to you as well.
0: Um, I think for me, the biggest thing was learning to trust my own instincts again, mm. because it, I mean, it took me a long time to like, Oh wait, my instincts were actually right. Right. That something was wrong. <laughs> as soon as that sounds, um, so that was for me kind of like, Oh, I had to tap back into that because your abuser does such a good job of gaslighting you into thinking everything that you, your ideas, your beliefs, your, your gut instincts are wrong. So mm-hmm. when you get back into like, oh, wait, I knew that something was going on here.
1: Right. Reconnecting
0: to that is pretty tough.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I could see that.
0: Okay. So you said you had two things.
1: Well, so the thing about being able to kind of know internally yeah. what it is that you want, what you need, and then- being able to have that trust interpersonally with others. Mm -hmm. I think those would be the two things. But one thing that comes to mind too is the surprise that sometimes it can come back, not the relationship, but that feeling of fear. Mm -hmm. And that the trauma recovery journey is not quick. Mm -hmm. And it can take some time. And having that patience to be ever so present for yourself can be really hard. Yeah. My, um,
0: one of my therapists say, I used <clears throat> to call that backsliding.
1: Mm, okay. I used to be
0: like, Oh, I feel like I'm backsliding.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: my therapist was like, Kenilam, why do you think that this is linear? Like you're not backsliding. This is part of the process. Like it's not, you're not going backwards. You're still going forwards because you're making progress. The, right. the kind of feeling things again and kind of forgiving yourself for feeling those things again, that's Mm. part of your forward progress. That really helped me because you know me, I'm like a uh, go forward (laughs) person.
1: So that was really helpful for me knowing that. It reminds me of a metaphor I once heard about grief, about grief being like a box, Mm -hmm. a very large box, but with a very, very large ball in the middle. So the ball is the grief. And as it bounces against each side, you feel it, you feel it, it hurts, you feel it. And then as you heal, the ball starts to become smaller, but it's still moving around in that box and it's still going to ping the sides, but it's still starting to progress and shrink and you know, kind of become more manageable.
0: Oh my God, I love that. That's exactly how it feels.
1: Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's a good one. For you, we have the question, how did you know you were ready to date after your abusive relationship?
0: Uh, uh, trial and error, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> um, I was like way too focused on my abuser not ruining my life. You know, like mm-hmm. I was like, I will not let him ruin my life. That I, I started dating too quickly after um, before I think I was ready. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I was, you know, you're an expert in truly highly sensitive people. But like, I was just highly sensitive because I was just like looking for every single thing that could be wrong with that person. So I didn't make the mistake again. Right. Um, And then after, and then I took a break Mm -hmm. and it wasn't like, I wasn't like, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna date like for this amount of time or whatever. I just would fill my life up with other stuff. Mm-hmm. And I concentrated on the other relationships that I had in my life, like being getting like repairing my my friendships <clears throat> mm-hmm. because I hadn't been honest with them about what was going on. And although they, you know, immediately believed me and supported me, there still was like kind of like a, an energy that I felt. And right. so I really concentrated on repairing those relationships of support first. And then when I once I was doing that, then I felt more able to put myself out there to date. But I was like on, I mean, as you call it, hyper arousal (laughs) for like trying to like see if there was anything to be afraid of in possible partners that I I wasn't going to give anyone a chance and I really wasn't being my best self.
1: And you know, that's actually interesting how you were bringing up the highly sensitive aspect because there are some similarities between PTSD symptoms mm-hmm. and high sensitivity traits. Really? So yeah, like um, being easily startled. Yeah. That's actually a trait of being an HSP. Oh. Like don't put me in a fun house <laughs> or a haunted house. <laughs> or my, my 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 employees know if you're coming through my door, like you need to announce yourself. Don't just like open my door. <laughs> um, the difference... The really big difference though, is that once you've had the time to heal, once you've had the time to um, get further and further and more space from your past experience, that will start to dissipate and go away. Mm -hmm. Whereas if it was more of a trait, it's not something that goes away. It's just a way of being.
0: Oh, oh, I didn't know that. That's really interesting, but Mm -hmm. it makes sense. Right. It does make sense.
1: Yeah, and not to say it's quite as distressing for a highly sensitive person, you know.
0: (laughs) It's still distressing, though. Right. Okay, this question, I was like, ooh, this is a good one for Dr. Kelly. Okay, the question says, my boyfriend does not shout at me or call me names, but he lies and gaslights me. Is that abuse or is he just a jerk?
1: Both. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it is abuse and he is being a jerk. So abuse, we need to reframe our thought on what abuse means. It is not just physical. It is any effort to maintain power and control over other people at the detriment of their own power control and identity. Okay. So research has shown some really interesting studies were done on the brain And what happens when you are experiencing emotional distress from neglect? Mm -hmm. And they found that the very same areas of the brain that fire when you're feeling neglected emotionally fire when you're being physically hurt. Oh, wow. Right. And the thing of it too is that you may not have this clear cut version of what the abuse was as well. So that's why... Emotional abuse is more likely to result in something called complex PTSD Mm -hmm. versus your traditional PTSD. So to take all this jargon and answer her question specifically, gaslighting is abuse. Mm -hmm. Yelling at you or calling you names are all forms of abuse. Mm -hmm. And he's being a jerk.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they are not mutually exclusive.
1: they can be one and the same.
0: <laughs> okay, got it. That's a really good answer, and I think that you do a really good job in the book of kind of breaking down what emotional abuse is mm-hmm. um because i when I was going through it, I had no idea that there was such a thing as emotional abuse. I knew there was such a thing as verbal abuse, I knew there was sexual abuse, I knew that there was physical abuse, but I didn't even know about something existed called emotional abuse.
1: Right. And and for people who go out and read our book too, we have the power of control wheels in there mm-hmm. that have been adapted to show you what all the various forms of abuse are that aren't even physical. And if mm-hmm. even one piece of that pie is present, you want to take a closer look at your relationship. So, that's something else we offer aside from even just the uh, safety plan too.
0: Yeah. Do you think it would be like a good idea if you, so obviously look at the power of control wheel, but do you think it would also be a good idea to look at that cycle of abuse chart that we included
1: or graph? Like Mm -hmm.
0: if, if you're feel, if you're seeing these things,
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like if
0: this is the way that your relationship is, is working, then you're probably being abused.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things to really know is the cycle aspect of it. Is -hmm. that just because today your partner might be treating you okay, doesn't mean that tomorrow there might not be some increased tension, which then can lead to that explosion. And then there's going to be the reconciliation and love bombing. And then boom, we're back to day one where everything seems okay no one's going to stick around for something that never, ever benefits them. Mm-hmm. Even if it's only fleeting moments. And you know something really interesting about intermittent reward mm-hmm. is that it's like gambling. There's such an, a dopamine rush, an actual neurological rush when we're given love that you're actually going to feel more reward when an abuser loves you in that moment, then maybe someone who you just see on a daily basis who is just commonly respectful.
0: Yeah, no, I, I definitely identify with that. Mm-hmm. Like, and I would even feel that like dopamine rush when he just like, wasn't a jerk to me. Right. Like When it just felt like, I don't, I don't know if the right word here, but like flat. When there was like no yeah. drama, that, mm-hmm. I, that was like a feeling of relief for me.
1: You know, you made me think of literally my first client today came in. I haven't seen her in about a month. And I asked her how she's doing. And she says, well, you know, I'm, I'm on the brink. I haven't had a breakdown. I haven't had any panic attacks. So I think I'm doing Okay. And I looked at her and I said, we need to change the bar of what okay is. <laughs> yeah. Because that's a very extreme, extreme version to start at for your measuring stick to say when you're okay. Mm-hmm. And so if you bring this back to a relationship, an abusive relationship, if if what determines if you're okay is just if you're not being abused, that's mm-hmm. a problem.
0: Yeah. Or if you're if, like the jerk comment. Like if he's not being a jerk and you're like, oh great. He's not being a jerk today. That's a, that's toxic.
1: Exactly. And you know, to define jerk, I'm a (laughs) jerk. I'm a jerk when I'm hungry. Okay. (laughs) I'm a jerk when I'm hot. (laughs) (laughs) You know, jerk, I would equate to, if you're just doing that, I would equate that to you're just being kind of irritable, but you have some insight. And at some point you're going to, validate or change your behavior or maybe give yourself the distance you need so you're not a jerk to your partner because we can't all be perfect yeah that's true you know that's why i had an apple before we met
0: (laughs) 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 and that's why i i already have my my pajamas
1: on (laughs) so i can be nice and cool during this talk (laughs) all right um I've i've got a question for you here okay so for you, why didn't you realize that you were being abused? That's oh, that one's a tough one. <laughs> that's loaded. Um,
0: <clears throat> well, first of all, it was lack of education that no one had ever, I mean, like even through high school or college or I never, it was not discussed in like my health class or anything other than a physical abuse. That was the only thing that was ever discussed. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I didn't identify that that was happening because until I was being physically abused and then I was like, "Uh Oh, uh, um, another thing that my abuser was uh, very skilled at was gaslighting me into thinking that all of his actions were my fault. That's so typical. And that if I, that I was the reason why he was doing all of these horrible things to me um is it was because of my behavior not because of choices that he was making right so so that's why i didn't i didn't really identify it and even um and you know what some of it i'm, I'm just to be like totally honest was like uh, just like your own pride mm. right like to, mm. that when you have to like really break yourself open and be like i'm being abused it It makes you like oh i I should have known better than this, like I'm a smart yeah. woman, you know like i'm I'm strong, so having to kind of crack that egg that's yeah. that's, that's tough to do um and and you know another <laughs> this is crazy, but like i I say in the book, like the only thing I'd ever seen is really like Hollywood versions of abuse like that. Tori Spelling Lifetime movie. Mother, may I, I sleep with this. danger? Oh, it's, it's not a good movie, but it's good, you know? Like, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You'll
0: watch the whole Sorry, thing. Sorry, Tori. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I had only seen sensationalized um, accounts yeah. of abuse. I thank, Thankfully, I'd never, you know, seen it in my home or anything. So I'd, I didn't know what to look for. Mm. And another reason is No one, until I came out and and was honest about what happened to me, no other woman in my life was telling me that she had been abused or was being abused. It was only when I was like, oh my God, let me tell you what's been going on for the the past Mm -hmm. some time that then they were like, oh, that's why I got a divorce from my first husband or Mm -hmm. my college boyfriend did that to me or whatever. So- I, I thought I was alone. I thought it I, I had no idea how prevalent it actually is.
1: Right. So Isn't I, it like one in three or something yeah. wild like that. Yeah. I, I had no one to, you know, like um
0: not I'm gonna use this word, but you know it's not really what I mean. Like I had no one to like validate my experience mm-hmm. with at first. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just I didn't I wasn't sharing it because I didn't, I thought it was just happening to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's so many things to unpack that you just said are so powerful. I mean, the, to start, how you were talking about the lack of education, and I know we explore that in the book, that the conversation of consent really should be happening at the, we'll say, middle school level, maybe, perhaps, or you know, elementary even, just really teaching kids from a very young age that you need to consent to anything and everything in a relationship. Um, mm-hmm. But I totally appreciate and resonate with that last thing that you were saying, because that was coming to mind for me a lot is that it wasn't a huge conversation. I don't feel like before, unfortunately before me too, I don't know if it was being discussed quite enough mm-hmm. and normalized and and validated. And and I feel there's this movement that I, I'm honored that we're part of that there's a movement and a surge of shedding a spotlight on this issue and making it so much more normal for people to talk about Mm -hmm. and to be Mm -hmm. honest about.
0: Yeah. And now that when we discuss it, like, I don't know, it seemed before like the shame was on the person that was being abused. Like they should feel the shame, but now it's like, no, 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 no. The only person yeah. Who should get, be blamed for what, for the abuse that was taking place is the abuser. That's the only person.
1: I remember a podcast you and I were on together where they asked you a similar question and you said something awesome. Oh, I kind of snapped at her. <laughs> well, I know. <laughs> but you said something awesome about like, we have to stop asking the abused person why they didn't leave and instead ask, what did the abuser do to keep you in? Yes. That was beautiful. That was so well put. Well, I mean, part of it is because
0: after, you know, having to do so much reflection that I've done, like it started to, I started to kind of like take it personally when people asked me -hmm. that. And then I also feel defensive of all of us who've been abused. Like, no, 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 no. Like, we didn't do this to ourselves. You know, like this was something that was done
1: to us. Hashtag, what did the abuser do? Yes. Yeah.
0: Start it. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes and yes. we'll, we'll we'll do that. <laughs> All right. Next question. Um, oh, ooh, this is a really good one. Um, what's another good book about abuse?
1: Hmm. Gosh, there's so many like so for me personally as a clinician, I tend to love and read a lot of books that deal with the things that create abusive issues if they're not addressed hmm. like I tend to lead a lot of my clients to things like like the book attached
0: oh yeah great book
1: yeah like I love that book because it explores attachment issues right now I'm reading Jessica Baum's um, anxiously attached mm-hmm. I love that and it's kind of exploring like why someone might, go through instances of desperation to try to stay in or to doubt a relationship. Um, I know your uh, guest host, Stephanie has written some awesome books about,
0: Oh, Dr. Mone Stark yeah, she's rock yes. star. Yeah. She's a new one too, about like um, mm-hmm. how to, how to build after a toxic relationship, how to like rebuild yourself after a toxic relationship.
1: Mm-hmm. That's on my list. Mm-hmm. That's on
0: my list. I'm actually reading again because I have to read it so many times because it's a little too hard
1: for me is the body keeps the score. Oh, okay. So when you're talking about abusive relationships, when I think of the body keeps the score, I think of just trauma. Uh-huh. So that is my, like, the, It's like your Bible. <laughs> it is essentially. I mean, it's, it's the must read for all my clients when they start working with me on trauma therapy. However, it's, it's heavy. Um, mm-hmm. I would say if anyone might feel kind of overwhelmed or overloaded, I really found it to be helpful to listen to. Mm-hmm. Instead of read, for me, that worked really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciated that. I also love uh, Pete Walker's uh, Complex PTSD book. Oh, okay. That's another really good one because he talks about fight, flight, freeze, fawn. Mm-hmm. And when we go into these phases of trauma response, how we react and how we phase ourselves out with you know, grounding and mindfulness. And that's such a good one too.
0: You know what's really interesting? I was actually thinking about this when I was running on the treadmill. And I was like, I've got I to ask Dr. Kelly about this. So this is perfect. So <clears throat> I feel like, I don't know, when we think about that flight, Fight, <laughs> freeze, father. <pop. laughs> now you see why I said
1: it so slowly.
0: <laughs> I feel like over time, like in the past, I've thought you can only really be one. And when I reflect about like the way that I respond to that sort of thing, I do all four.
1: So you will. So that's that's an awesome point. Um, no one. I mean, we're we're multidimensional. Even when mm. we do like quizzes on like what's your tendency or what's your love language. What kind of pizza are you? Right. What kind of <laughs> pizza are you? Um, you're. I'm definitely vegetarian pizza, but you're. You're. You're going to be a little fluid between them all. But specifically with this, traditionally it is seen that the person will respond with their first most effective skill mm-hmm. for combating that feeling of trauma, and then when that doesn't work they will usually regress to the next skill and then regress finally to usually shut down, honestly. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, for some, it's the other way around. I mean, I know if I'm feeling triggered, I might, I think I'm more of a flight, like I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing. And then if I'm doing too much, I go into more of a fawn or shut down. You know, we all kind of move and ebb and flow based on the situation and based on our history.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I also feel like I like you're saying your first like your best skill. I feel yeah. like it depends on the the thing that's triggering me. Like certain people trigger me in certain ways, and some people like mm-hmm. trigger me in other ways, and I have other behaviors. so that's that's really interesting,
1: yeah. well, that makes sense because you're not going to go into a fawn mode, which is more of like a codependent um. You kind of lose your opinions and your emotional individuation when you're fawning. And not everyone knows about fawning. That's why I'm kind of describing it a little. Mm -hmm. Um, You're not going to tend to fawn with someone that you feel more powerful than or confident around. Mm -hmm. You might Mm -hmm. be more likely to fawn if there's a bit more of a power dynamic.
0: Oh, so maybe like a parent. Yeah, I don't think my two-year-old
1: is going to make me fawn. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Probably not. I don't know. He is pretty cute,
1: though. <laughs> uh, yeah, he is.
0: <laughs> All right. Next question for you. Um, oof! Oh, this is a tough one. I just broke up with my abusive ex, but I miss him. Oh, girl, we've all been there. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> what are some things I can do to resist the urge to go back to him? That's a good question.
1: That's a great question. I think the very first thing is to know that it's super normal to miss him. Just because you miss someone doesn't mean that that's a sign that you're supposed to be around that person.
0: Mm, that's a great point.
1: Yes, it's they're it, they're completely exclusive of one another because when you end a relationship, even if it's not a healthy one, there's going to be uh, almost like a, a withdrawal for a mm-hmm. while. Mm-hmm. And during the withdrawal, there'll be cravings, just like any other addiction, to be yeah. with or around this person. So first and foremost, recognize it's normal. Secondly, if we kind of use that uh, model of addiction, you want to be filling your life with other positive things, relationships, people that ground you, maybe even finding a safe person that you don't feel judged by that you can let them know you're missing this person. hmm and if you don't have a person, it could be something simple like a journal. It could be talking to your dog. It could be, <laughs> you know, it, 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 <laughs> it doesn't have to be another human. But so stating that it's happening, normalizing that it's happening. And also, I would implore you to think about the urge wave. So anytime we get a craving for something, whether it be a person, a relationship, for instance, it's going to peak. There's this really high peak. It's going to hit like a wave and then it'll dissipate if you let your nervous system calm itself down without seeing or being around the person. Now the next okay. time the urge goes up, it'll go a little bit lower. Oh and really? Then back down. Yes, this is same treatment says like exposure for OCD for instance. And then again, so you're you'll still get the urges but they start to soften around the edges eventually, but just know this. Anytime you are in contact with this person, the urge wave is going to start spiking up at that max point again. Oh. This can be really tricky, and that's why we encourage no contact so that, right, you can find that safe space, find yourself again, allow your nervous system to find safety. But what happens when you have to be around a person? You've got kids, maybe you share a business, I would definitely encourage limited contact as best you can. And within that, you want to pre-prepare your boundaries. Mm -hmm. And you also want to minimize the interacting to just keeping it focused on whatever reason you have to be in contact, like if it's the kids.
0: Yeah. When we were uh, writing the book, we we were in contact with someone uh, who we were having, <laughs> let's just say, <laughs> an issue with. And mm. I learned such a good skill from you, kind of on that same page where you were broken recording the person. Yes. Like they were trying to they were trying to pull you all the way in a different direction. And you were like, uh-uh. And you just were like so good at like sticking to the same message again and again and again, no matter how far the person was trying to pull you off. So that's kind of like that about like, just, just stick to the script.
1: Yes. Because then you are just remaining in that action phase and you're not in like a, a more vulnerable phase because just know anything you give that abuser post breakup, They're going to use. They're going to Mm -hmm. use to try to hoover you back in, pull you back in, guilt you back in. So best case, no contact. If needed, limited with set boundaries you create ahead of time. Mm -hmm.
0: Like I put my, here's just something that I did. I put my abuser at first in my phone, like his his contact name was don't fucking do it.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> like, that, that's a good anchor.
0: <laughs> and so every time I would like feel like, oh, I wanted to like contact him in some way, I mm-hmm. would literally get the message of don't contact him. Yeah, that's and awesome. that really helped me. And then I'm and then I changed it to um, call Gretchen. Because like you were saying about like having a support system, Gretchen is my bestie. So then I would be like, when I wanted to get in contact with him for whatever reason, because again, the whole addiction thing, then I would call her and then she would tell me, don't fucking do it. (laughs) And then (laughs) then there was like a little bit of accountability there. So that was super duper helpful
1: for me. That's a great idea. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm.
0: And as my mom always says, like, get a hobby. Like, that's trying new stuff is so
1: helpful. Well, if you think about it, there's a reason why if someone does go inpatient for any sort of addiction, there's no downtime. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the goal is eventually you'll be able to find that peace and that downtime again. You'll be able to be idle without feeling the temptation to reach out. But in that very acute Time period right after when it's just so raw, it's okay to amp up the coping skills for that period of time, mm-hmm. you know? And then you'll pick what works best for you and what fits best into your everyday life as you start to regain more control over your sense of agency and not wanting to be around that person.
0: Yeah. This wasn't an abusive person, but when, when I was younger, I, I broke up with a boyfriend and Anytime I wanted to like call him, instead, I would write a list down of all of the things I didn't like about him.
1: (laughs) You know, that's really smart because (laughs) when we're not around something, we can tend to glamorize or fantasize or just remember the positive aspects. Remember, it's that abuse cycle. You get so used to honeymoon tension explosion correction over and over that let's think of it this way you're out of the relationship you're so used to being in that phase where everything was okay that you start to think about that mm-hmm. waiting for the next hit of validation or love mm-hmm. so don't let them suck you back into that cycle
0: that's a good point that's a really good point it's hard but
1: it's yeah it's necessary mm-hmm. right absolutely all right, you're-, you're Yes, uh, you have a question. What advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, God. Uh, don't go on a date with this one specific person. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, no, actually, no, because because of that, you know, you and I know each other mm-hmm. and we got to write a book and, and help other younger Kendallans. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I would definitely say- Uh, if you're confused, sit with the problem that you're feeling, like just what it, it, when your mind and your heart and your gut and everything are are giving you different messages, just don't do anything, but just kind of like sit in the feelings until you kind of figure it out. Like instead of pushing it down, because I was always trying to push it down, push it down, push it down. And that, that made me ignore my gut instincts.
1: Mm. So,
0: because like, I, you know, in the beginning of the relationship, he was so nice. Like, why can't he just go back to being that person? Like, yeah, because right. he, w- he was never actually that person. Mm-hmm. That, was a, that was a lie. Mm-hmm. That was a, a persona that he created based on the information that he had pulled from me. Um, so, so I would say definitely when you're having conflicting thoughts and feelings, just to kind of sit in them, and 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 really like li- try to listen to what your body is telling you because your right. your body is probably right.
1: Mhm. Yeah, that's awesome. And that takes you being attentive to yourself mm-hmm. before the person. Yeah, which is hard. That is hard. Especially because the beginning is oof, it's so rewarding. The beginning there's so many things that can get you so hooked. And so I heard the wildest thing about falling for someone Uh that when I read this, I was like, I cannot believe this. So when you first meet someone, whether it be, you know, a healthy, unhealthy person, we all have heard that we get that, you know, surge of endorphins and and dopamine and all the feel goods. But did you know that when you meet a new person, love interest, or someone you're really into, your serotonin drops. What? That doesn't make sense to me. It does for survival because when our serotonin drops, we become more obsessive. Oh. Isn't that wild? That's crazy. Yes. So it just further sucks you into the person. So you want to be really careful during the first couple months when your hormones are going to betray you <laughs> to like, what am I like, what is the holistic version of this person that I'm starting to obsess over? Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. And it, and you know
0: what, that actually like works in the abuser's favor yeah. actually. Yeah. So like yeah. this person is trying to control you and then like your defense mechanisms that should be helping you like right. aren't, aren't working for you
1: (laughs) and think of it this way too if you become really obsessed with a person you may be less likely to want to continue being around your loved ones and your friends and your family the great thing is your friends and family are not having the same hormonal response to this new love interest of yours so they can also signal if they see something that's off Mm -hmm. it's hard to listen but they can signal it for you
0: yeah yeah My mom's real good at that, (laughs) but she likes my current boyfriend. So that's good.
1: (laughs) Which I just found out about about 30 minutes ago.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Very happy, but I'm using all of the tools that you've taught me, Dr. Kelly. All right. I'm not doing anything (laughs) great. All right. Oh God. This is like the worst (laughs) time to, to ask this question, but the question is why do I keep picking abusive men today. And that's not my current
1: situation,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I, th- this was a question and it's a good one because before I broke my pattern, I did this too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So repeat trauma is very tricky and I would definitely encourage people to go back and listen to the episode we did on this in great detail. That's a, detail. Good, one. That's a yeah. good one. Yeah. We went into great detail on that, but you know, a couple things, one of them has to do with going too quickly, not healing old thinking patterns or narratives. And so even if you're out of a situation, if you still have a lot of the same doubt or insecurities, someone else can capitalize on that if they scoop you up really quickly. Mm -hmm. So giving yourself to over to this time to, as I say, date yourself, get to know yourself, get to know what you do and don't want. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this can potentially go all the way back to the beginning of someone's life too. You know, if they were normalized to stress, they can be more likely to, you know, not kind of have that canary in the coal mine moment where something signals that something's not okay because like ner- the,
0: the chaos feels natural Normal. to them. Yep. Yeah.
1: yeah. At, that's such a good way of putting that. Um, but on a more kind of specific level, unfortunately, people who have gone through trauma do become more likely not just because their nervous system, but because life situations. Um, for instance, if you've been abused, you may be more likely to abuse substances. And if you abuse substances, then you might be more likely to get into unhealthy situations where there might be someone who preys on you. So it's it can become this really vicious Ongoing cycle. That is why, if you're listening right now and you're aware of this and you're thinking about it, you get to say no more. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's yeah. what I did. Mm-hmm. And it and it was tough because I I could fi- I found myself falling back into old like you said patterns of thinking. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until like really I had a therapist that was like those don't serve you well. Like let's <laughs> let's kind right. of break this down in, into, into why you are choosing people that were like right. that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I, again, then, like I said, like the pendulum kind of swang the wrong way <laughs> <laughs> and I was being like, highly like overcritical of every single person that wanted to date me. Um, but I, I think that, that, that that's a good point that you, you just got to break that your own pattern. Right because you know prince charming isn't just going to be outside your house waiting for you like <laughs> you got you got to you got to find him but first you
1: got to mm-hmm. deal with your own stuff and i would definitely say it's okay to be picky okay yes. it's it's okay to be picky i know you said being too hypercritical where you might feel untrusting obviously you don't want to swing into that extreme mm-hmm. but it's certainly healthy to know what you do and don't want um I was talking with a client today about this most recent negative relationship she just got out of, and she keeps getting burned. And so I told her, you're scaffolding. Every relationship, you're just kind of piling one on top of the other saying, this is what I want and what I don't. This is what I want and what I don't. And if you think about as a teacher, which I know you have a history being, Mm -hmm. that's how students learn something. They build upon the blocks until finally they have the end result. And so that's kind of how it goes too with finding your person.
0: Mm-hmm. That's really good advice.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Last question that we got. What did you learn from your co-author? I can go first because I learned a lot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> go for it.
0: <laughs> well, first of all, like I said before, that the safety plan for me was just like, blew my mind all the things that I should have thought of that I didn't. Like To mm-hmm. me, that was that was like, oh, oh my God, like this this would have saved me so much. um, But one, there's one sentence that you wrote and it totally blew my mind. And it's about sexual abuse. And you wrote, consent is not a blank check. And mm-hmm. like the first time I read that, like Dr. Kelly, like my stomach dropped mm-hmm. right to my toes. Cause I was like, Oh, my God! That's exactly what I used to think.
1: Mm, mm-hmm. I used
0: to feel, especially in that relationship. I used to feel like if I had said yes once, that meant that it was it always had to be yes, that right. I you know I had no autonomy over my body and uh and so that that really was like an aha moment for me mm-hmm. of of reading that, and I was like, "Oh, this is exactly right you're You're allowed to say no, right. And, and I, I did not know that before. I, 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 I truly felt like once you say yes, the answer is yes. And you can't say no. So for me, that, that really helped me.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can say no even in the act. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's, let's obliterate the term leading on. Oh, yeah. Let, let's just smash it. Yeah. Because it doesn't even make sense and it shouldn't even exist. You are right. Mm-hmm. Hashtag obliterate leaning on. <laughs> we got a lot of hashtags. <laughs> so I learned, God, my journey with you was so awesome because it was really amazing getting to see what it's like for someone to survive and thrive, no pun intended, <laughs> um, who admittedly I wasn't working with as a client, mm-hmm. like to, to work with you as, as a peer and an equal and a friend and get to really see what happened, I've never experienced that like I did with you. Mm -hmm. And because of that, it has made me 10 times the therapist I was before. And You were already pretty damn good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I've always, I've always focused on trauma, but I think even I, even though I knew the research and I knew, I knew about emotional abuse and I knew about all this by the time someone would come into my door, they were often deep into the acute part of recovering, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't, I didn't often get to sit down with someone as a friend and as a peer and see what happens down the road. Mm-hmm. And like your insight and the stuff that you have learned from all of your different podcasts, that's why I said that to you that day because I was kind of hungry to learn everything you were learning. <laughs> you know, yeah. And I do recall, just so listeners know, there that Kendall you should you should literally teach a course on formatting a book. <laughs> she Did the most killer spreadsheets I've ever seen. Um. <laughs> changed my writing life, but there were definitely terms you put in there that I had to Google. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. I'm like, what's (laughs) hoovering? So no, I, I, I learned a ton. I really did. And I'm grateful for it.
0: Oh, me too. And now we have this fabulous book and now everybody gets to learn from us both at the same time.
1: And we just got put in the uh, library of the university I teach at. So celebration oh, today. Oh, that yes. is so
0: awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Kelly is looking into getting us an, an audiobook version of our book. Yes. So we will be recording yes. that.
1: That's so important to us, everyone. We really want you to be able to have it in whatever way is the most Digestible and easy, and just really fits the way that you learn and take in information. So I'm excited. We're excited to record it personally.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, it's going to take me a while, though.
1: (laughs) Take all the time you need.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for stopping by to chat. It was, you know, it's always good to catch up with you. And if you haven't already gotten a copy of What I Wish I Knew Surviving and Thriving After an Abusive Relationship, Make sure you go and buy yes, it. Yes. If you've read it, please review it or rate it. You don't have to write a long review. Just a rate is also good. Um, make sure you check out all of Dr. Kelly's, um, her social media. She has really cool stuff like um, Q&A with, with Dr. K. I really like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, where she, you know, she answers questions um, written to her. Don't, I didn't see have like
1: a happy hour. Oh, yes. The the HSP Happy Hour on Insight Timer. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. So it's something cool people can do all over the world. If you're not on Insight Timer, I've got meditations on there. I love that app. It's free. It's just such a therapeutic thing to use.
0: It's really good. Dr. Mm -hmm. Kelly also has a blog. Um, So check out her website and all that will be in the show notes.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Of course, you know, you're always invited and not you know, I'll keep writing you texts every day and sending you pictures of me and
1: Rocco. <laughs> <laughs> and right. I'll send you weird gifts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite. You really have
1: upped your gift game, by the way. I mean, I'm I'm pretty professional at it. I You're think. really, really good.
0: <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thank you again, Dr. Amelia Kelly, for stopping by to chat with me about our book. If you'd like more information about Dr. Kelly, I put a link in the show notes to her website. There you'd be able to read her blog uh, and connect with her on social media. I also put a link for what I wish I knew surviving and thriving after an abusive relationship. Um, so you can purchase it, you can rate it, you can review it. Thank you so much to everybody who has supported us uh, so far. We really, truly do appreciate it. If you are in an unsafe or abusive relationship, there is free help available. Please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at one 800 799 Three three. Again, that number is one eight hundred seven nine nine
1: safe.